Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. A really good king aspires for peace, but always prepares for battle. Those in the room on this particular day, ooh man, they can feel the tension. They can feel it. The tension between King Hezekiah and the prophet that was given to him, Isaiah. See, Hezekiah is thinking of making an alliance with Egypt for what is perhaps the inevitable battle. This will be a covenant of death, Isaiah says. Do not make an alliance with Egypt. Hezekiah has been king now for 14 years. 14 years. And has been able, up to this point, to keep the peace thus far. It's been a good time for, for, for being the king of Judah. Over the years, there have been opportunities, many opportunities, to build alliances with other nations. They've come and gone. But Hezekiah has always leaned on his alliance with God and not with man. Hezekiah has taken a completely different approach to the throne than that of his father. The problem now, the problem now, is that the Assyrian army, the mightiest army on the planet, has defeated the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel. And they have taken over all of their land. Hezekiah is absolutely no fool. He knows what's going to happen next. It's just a matter of time before Assyria comes knocking on their door. And so Hezekiah responds to the prophet Isaiah. But they're the only nation. Egypt is the only nation big enough to help us defeat them for when they come. We have no choice. And in looking at the king, Isaiah says, I see that you've made your decision. And God has these words for you right now, O king. Woe to Judah. To those who carry out plans that are not mine forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me? Who look to help from Pharaoh for protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge? Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And Isaiah leaves. And in that moment, 
You know, they say that leadership is a very lonely road. And Hezekiah, right now, has a decision that belongs only to him. Trust God or make an alliance with Egypt, the very nation that enslaved God's people. Let's pray. Father, we pray now and come to you for the word of God, that the inspired word in Kings, God. Lord, I pray that sometimes as we go through some of this old history, this old stories, it can be challenging to figure out exactly what's happening, timelines, what's going on. And, and listen, Lord, I'm, in, I'm no exemption to that. Father, I pray that your clarity and your understanding speak louder than me. Father, I pray that if anything I say is not correct, then correct me now on this platform at this spot. And I pray, Lord, for your discernment. Not for me, not just for, but for all of us. That when we walk out of this room, that we know exactly what, how it is to serve the Lord. What it is that you want from us. So, Lord, I pray for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, listen, I, I want to say welcome. Uh, for many of you who have been here with us in Gwinnett for a long time, uh, you know that during the summer months, uh, I, I, I take kind of a, a little preaching sabbatical, if you will. That's the only term I know how to use. And many of you have stood up and said, here, I'll take a Sunday. And, and I said a little bit this last week, but I, I know most of you were still out traveling in summer and Bible conference and all of that. And, I, and again, I want to say thank you for each and every single person who has stood at this pulpit and delivered the message and the word of God. What you are doing for me and my family is a gift. You're allowing me for the summer months to be dad and go and work on playing catch with my son. I can go... Uh, the other, yesterday, a couple days ago, we climbed Stone Mountain. Are you, we're crazy enough to do that. You know? And now I'm like, now, son, I need to go to preaching. I need to, I need to stop climbing Stone Mountain, son. You know, but, but we really, truly say thank you. Uh, this is a gift. We recognize it as a gift, and we just wanted to say that. But last week, I came back up here, and I started a new series titled Swords and Thrones. And this is a deep dive look into the story of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is one of the great many kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. And, and when we look into it, when we start looking at this piece of history, and just in case if you weren't with us last week, I do encourage you to go back and, and re-watch it on any of our social media platforms or even, even go to our podcast. Yes, we've had one of those called Refresh. And you can go back and listen to last, the first week of this series. But... Just a quick little recap, what we have here is Hezekiah. He's now become the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And this has happened because his father, Ahaz, has died. And so just like we see in all the movies, it goes to the next, the next one in order. And so now Hezekiah is the king of Judah. Now, unlike his father, though, he is different. Now, aren't all of us sons different than our fathers, I say, perhaps? But he's a little different than Hezekiah, or his father Ahaz. He, clearly in Scripture, Hezekiah is written as a man who is righteous in the eyes of the Lord. He is a righteous king 
in the eyes of now if you're again with us last week we looked at how many kings judah had and there were about over 20 and we realized that only five of them were righteous in the eyes of the lord that's not a good track record but hey you know we'll take it so hezekiah is coming into an interesting time in the nation right now in judah particularly and his very first act is that when he became king the first thing he did is he went to the temple and he purified it. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, it had become a temple for the pagan gods. His father had turned it to that. So he removed all the idols and he reestablished all of the old ways, the ways of the Lord there in, there in, uh, in Judah. Now, Scripture says that it took him, there were so many idols, that it took him 16 days to cleanse the temple and the city from all the idols. 16 days to go and cleanse it up, to say that none of this is of the Lord. And then finally, they were able to lean into the old ways of the Scripture. And that's how they've been living life. And that's where we ended last week. And so now, we see here that, that when he did this, when Hezekiah did cleanse the temple, when he removed all the idols, he was making a statement. He was clearly saying, oh Lord, you're the God for us. And we're going to lean in, all the, we're going to get rid of all this other nonsense, all this other fake stuff, and we're just going to lean in on the real God. But there was something else happening as well. Hezekiah, by doing this, was denouncing the king of Assyria. You see, there was an alliance there. There was a connection between Assyria and Judah. And he was denouncing him. See, Ahaz, his father, created this alliance, this partnership with Assyria. Now, what he did, his father Ahaz, remember, he's not, he, he, was a, he was a terrible king. And what he did is he went to Assyria, and he, every year, every single year, Ahaz would pay him a tribute. He would pay him a fee to say, hey, listen, here's this year's fee. And then what that did was insurance money. They didn't come and attack. So it was kind of, here's our, here's our annual fee, and then you keep us out of your list of places to attack for another year. Now, you, just how these things go, when you come and start giving a mouse a little bit of a, just a crumb, they always kind of come back more a little bit more, don't they? Well, it started off just as an annual fee, just a little bit here, just keep us, just keep us off your radar, slowly turned into an entire nation of Judah starting to look like Assyria. His father Ahaz started to adapt all of the pagan gods. He says, here's the fee, but you know, we'll, we'll start adapting your religious view. We'll, we'll, we'll start looking like you, all right? And what has happened is Ahaz has now converted the entire temple to a pagan sanctuary. This is what he's done. And so now, when Hezekiah came and he purified the temple, when he removed it all, when he says, get all of this out of here, none of, none of this is of the Lord, and he removed it all, this was a clear symbol, a clear defining moment for Judah, that this was the end of a serious religious hold over this nation. We're done. And so he did it. So now, we catch up with Hezekiah 14 years later. 14 years later. Now, I will admit, when I was going through the scripture, and that, it was just a, quick, a brief little, and 14 years later, that's all. But for whatever reason, that statement fascinated me. 
14 years. We just went from cleansing the temple to 14 years later. There was nothing in between. So I, just, I spent a, an incredible amount of time on what happened during those 14 years. And I had to go into many different play, resources and play to find. But, but here, this is what I found is right here. It says that, that as, man, gosh, I spent a lot of time on this. That this was after all, right here, when he, when he said, all right, I'm done with this idol business. This was a political statement that Judah was separating from Assyria's religious views. And so this was a clear disrespecting of the king of Assyria. So why didn't the king of, in those 14 years, why didn't the king just show up and crush them? He had the ability to do so. Why not just come and make them an example of all the other, you want to do this? Okay, that's fine. We'll make you an example for the other nations. But then, ah, I found it. I found the thing is that even though he separated all of the, he, we're no longer under your religious, not, not all that stuff is gone. The one thing he never stopped doing was paying the Assyrian king the annual tribute started by his father. He kept doing it every year. He paid the tribute. And he paid the tribute. In other words, money talks. All right, you know, you don't want to look like us. That's fine. Just make sure you give me your money. As long as you keep paying your fees, and then fine, do, do as you wish. So as long as they were paying their tribute, they were protected. Judah was protected. And this would explain why Hezekiah has had very little conflict in the past 14 years. However, that is about to change. Now, it is believed just in that one verse in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, that something has happened. A decision was made. And while every little Old Testament scholar that I read and looked into this all came to the conclusion that it was in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign that he decided it was time to stop paying the tribute. It was time to stop. We are separated from the religion. We're not a pagan nation, and we are now going to stop paying the tribute to them as well. Well, let me tell you, it didn't take very long for them to notice that there was a back payment. Where's the payment from Judah? Where's the set? And so, when word had traveled to the Assyrian king that Judah's a little deferred on their payment at the moment, sir, the Assyrians responded immediately. They didn't wait on it. They didn't send a messenger. They didn't write a letter saying, you have 30 days to pay this or we're going to come and cut off your electricity. It was, none of that. It, was not, it was an immediate response and it was with military might. And what they did, the Assyrian nation, what the whole king, they gathered together and they intentionally went and attacked all of the surrounding fortified cities around Jerusalem. And one by one, they came and over, overcame, over, they took the city. They had no chance. And even though they were fortified, they were, the, they were Judah's mightiest cities. They fell one by one by one. So all that there was left only in the nation of Judah was just the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. That was it. And so right now, Hezekiah is starting to have some doubts. Perhaps 
Maybe I should have paid the tribute. It would have definitely kept us safe. The protection would have been there. And my people would not be in the situation they're in now. And so doubt starts to enter the king's mind, Hezekiah's mind. And then word travels in from one of the messengers. King Hezekiah, I'm here to report to you that our most fortified city has just fallen. Ah, but there's more. There's word that the king of Assyria himself is in that city. And so Hezekiah immediately says, I want to send a message to him. And so they start to take down notes, and they write this message out, and they go and they deliver it to the king there in Lachish. And as they arrive, they hand the king the message, he opens it, and it says, O king of Assyria, I have done you wrong. You can demand any payment, and we will pay. And so the king closes the message, and he tells the messenger, tell your king this. And he gives him a dollar figure. This is how much I want. And it was double, triple the normal amount of the tribute. You're going to play games with me? You want to miss a payment with me? I'm the king of Assyria. There will be, there will be consequences. Here's the amount. And so they go back and they give the news to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, agrees to pay it. But there's not enough money in the bank account. So Hezekiah himself, knowing that the buck stops with him, goes into the temple and begins to strip all the gold from every artifact, from within the walls, from the doors, from the He strips all of the gold down so that he can make good on his payment to the king of Assyria. Hezekiah was robbing God to pay for the very thing that God himself can provide, protection. And so what we learn is that Assyria turns out, this turns out he's not a good guy. Who would have known? Turns out that he took the payment and he never intended to retreat after the payment. That was never in the cards for him. It was a military strategic move. After taking all of their money, depleting all of their resources, Judah now has nothing. There's no chance. There is no hope for them to do anything against the king of Assyria. And so Assyria, the king himself, decides he's going to send his top commander, his general, if you will, his top guy, and he's going to go and send him to Jerusalem to speak to Hezekiah face to face. So the scripture says that the commander, he went to the city of Jerusalem by himself. Scripture has no indication that anybody went with him. But he went to the city of Jerusalem, and he stopped right outside of the gates. And the scripture actually paints us a picture at the exact spot he stopped. It says that he stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool. It paints us that picture. This is where he was standing, at the aqueduct of the upper pool. 
Well, that's an interesting thing to point out in Scripture. But as you know, nothing in Scripture is by accident. Because what we see here is that in this exact same location, in this exact same, if you go a few chapters back, the Scripture says that there was another meeting that took place, you guessed it, at the aqueduct by the upper pool. Except this time, the meeting was between King Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, and the prophet that was given to him, which was also Isaiah, the same prophet that Hezekiah has now. And the two of them were standing in that spot, and they were our woman. Isaiah was given it to him. And at this, he was warning Ahaz. He was warning him, do not, Ahaz, listen to me. Do not make an alliance with Assyria. Don't do it. Don't make an alliance with Assyria. Nothing good will come from it. And as we know and keep reading, Ahaz did not listen. And he continued forth. So it was the very spot where it all started. Is now the spot where he comes and stands, this commander of Assyria. And now he shouts from the gates, O king of Judah, come out and talk with me. Come out, let's have a chat. And so Hezekiah hears that this nice strong voice is coming from outside the gates. And he sees who's standing there. And so he looks to his top three officials, his diplomats, if you will. And he tells the three of them, to go out and speak to the commander on my behalf. Now by this time, the commander's been making some noise. Hello! Is there anybody here? Hello! And then the gates open, and what the commander sees is that three of Hezekiah's officials walk out. <laughs> oh, oh, we've got a crowd. You see, the people inside the city, they started to hear what was going on. And so the scripture said they started to actually climb the walls from inside to get to the top so that way they can see who's shouting out there. And as soon as the people of Judah saw the commander, the scripture says that the city was immediately filled with fear. They know it this time. It was just a matter of... Hezekiah should have paid the tribute. We know he should have. They're filled with fear. And so now, at the, seeing that Hezekiah has sent some officials to talk on his behalf, the commander takes this opportunity to speak to the king through his people. Ah, okay. So now that we're all here, I'm glad we can have a talk. And it begins to taunt and speak at them as if he himself has absolutely no fear of this nation. He says, listen, the great king of Assyria sends the following message. Where? Where has this confidence that you can separate yourself from us all of a sudden come from? You think you have military might. But you speak only empty words. Who are you depending on for your help? 
Egypt? Oh, we know about your talks with Egypt, O king. And we all know that Egypt is only half the nation it once was. Anyone who depends on them is a fool. Perhaps, yes, perhaps, you are depending on the Lord your God. Didn't, uh, didn't your king, didn't he, when he was purifying the temple, didn't he destroy your God's altar in the process? Oh, yes, we've heard about that. And so here, let me tell you, friends, is that your God is not on your side. He's not listening to your king anymore. Come, come now, make a bargain with me. My king is generous. He will, my king will even give you 2,000 horses to use against us in battle. That is if you have that many people to ride them, of course. Besides, our spies, yes, the ones in there, our spies, have told us about the words of your prophet Isaiah, that if you do not turn your ways, that the Assyrians will come and defeat your nation. Yes, we've heard about this. Well, I'm here to tell you that if this is the case, then it appears that your God is on our side. Are you ready for this? And in this moment, he stops talking. And he wants to wait for their response. Now, don't get me wrong. The commander could have just shown up and taken over the place. He had the ability and the upper hand to do it. But that wasn't his mission. When the commander was standing outside the gate that day, shouting to the people of Judah, he had one purpose. He wanted to physically watch them give up. He wants them to be defeated before the battle starts. He wants to steal their joy. He wants to take their security away from them. He wants their hope to be burst, to be gone. He wants to rob them of their peace. And so now, this commander, standing outside the gates, is waiting for their response. And instead of responding in fear, instead of coming and saying, oh, we are in trouble, the officials there, the three at the gate, looked at each other, Kind of nodded, okay. And one spoke up and said, uh, Commander, can you say everything you just said, but this time in Aramaic? What? You see, uh, Aramaic, uh, they really said, like, can you say, but this time in Arama Aramaic had become, at this point in time, the official language of the East. All business transactions would have been in Aramaic, all of them, between nations. And all, that was, that was, that's how everyone spoke. They, at this point, standing at the gate, instead of being filled with fear, 
they were using a different tactic. They didn't request Aramaic because they didn't understand it. Oh, they understood he said it perfectly well. They understood so much because the commander, to their surprise, chose to speak in Hebrew when addressing them. And so now they're asking, can you use Aramaic? And the reason why is so that the common person on the gates up there on the wall who didn't speak Aramaic for business reasons wouldn't be filled with fear from the conversation this point forth. Can we use Aramaic from this point on? Now the commander knows why he asked the question. He knows why. He knows his motive. And so the scripture says at that point, the commander, a little smile on his face, decides again, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep using Hebrew. And he tells them, your people deserve, listen, your people deserve to hear that they're about to die. Now listen up. Do not let Hezekiah deceive any of you in this place. He can't protect you. Don't let him trick you all to trust in the Lord. For your Lord is on our side. If you make peace with us now, my king will give you everything you need to prosper. Hezekiah will tell you all that the Lord will deliver us from the Assyrians. This is a lie. There has never been any God of any nation that has been able to stop us. So how then can your God stop what's about to happen? And then he stops again to see the response of the people. This time he was expecting an uprise. Perhaps now uh, this would be a great opportunity for them to start killing each other. That would make it easy for them. Or maybe at the very least, maybe they were so scared that they themselves would go to their great king and deliver him. That would make it easy. Or at the very least, if I can just rob them of their peace, security, and hope, then the battle will go quickly. That also sounds like a really good situation here. But the large crowd, when he was done speaking, none of that happened. Even the, the common folks on the, on the wall looked at each other, looked at the officials. And the scripture says, that their response was silence. Nothing. The commander has just assured them death with, without, with certainly death. And here they are, standing in silence. No response. No arguments, no defense, just silence. The people of Judah, in this moment, the people of Judah have made a decision. They have decided to put their trust in Hezekiah and in their God. Your words, commander, are empty. The commander's attempt to cause a revolt has failed. Very well. 
So he stands at the gate, he looks at the officials, he looks at the good people of Judah, and he says, then so be it. Judah, prepare for battle. And he gets on his horse, and he returns to his king to report the news. And the officials go back in, shut the gates, and they go back to Hezekiah to report, O king, it's time to prepare. Now this sounds like, when I was reading through this scripture here, this sounds like a really good fairy tale. Or a very, really good historical drama that we'd see in the movies. Maybe in the, in the theaters or, on a, or a good miniseries, perhaps. This sort of banter back and forth. It has horses, it's got swords, it's got thrones and kings and this and that. I mean, this is really good stuff in the making. But the reality is this. Is that many of us in this room right now, you and me, have actually experienced the same scenario in our own lives, even now today. A little banter, a little conversation like this with someone who's knocking on the door and who is threatening us with the truth. This is the exact same way that Satan, the evil one, speaks to us. Same tactic that he uses. I mean, when I look back, when I read through the scripture and I see everything that the commander said, I have to say, admittedly here, that the commander was speaking the truth. There was nothing he said that was a lie. He absolutely was in a position to make all of those threats and keep them. He knew in his position standing there that you have no chance. So he wasn't lying to them. He wasn't casting fear on them out of a lie. Oh, it was very much the truth. Assyria had the upper hand. You see, Satan often attacks us this exact same way. He often uses the truth to cast fear into our souls. He'll, he'll do it when he's a master at it. He doesn't tell us the truth. He doesn't speak truth to us the same way that God speaks truth to us. See, God's truth is filled with hope and redemption. But the truth that the devil speaks is only coming from a place of fear. That he will use truth to cast doubts into our souls. It's there to... You see, he doesn't tell truth for us to lean onto God for strength. It's to rob us of hope and to chase us into despair. The strategy of the commander was to make the people of Judah give up. To just give up. The enemy of our souls uses this exact same approach. We often picture Satan as a person who is ready to fight, ready to, ready to battle, to go into war. And this, is, this is kind of how we picture him. But the truth is, he doesn't want to go into battle with you. You see, it's often during battle when we draw close to God, when we lean on him for strength, for peace. Battles are often the time when true character is shaped and molded. You discover who you are in the image of God. 
Satan doesn't want to even give you the opportunity to have an experience as that. He'd just rather you give up. Give up. He's looking for those. He's on the prowl. He is hunting for those who have no battle left in them. Who have nothing left to give. Who have been beaten down, struck down. These are the ones, yes. Let's have a talk. Give up, give up. He's looking for those who are already starting to slip a little bit. He's looking for, for people who mistake the hands of help as hands of judgment. Let me help you out. No, 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 no. I'll fight this one on my own. This is his tactic. This is his plan. It's to stand outside the gates and only fill us with fear. O church, arise. And put your armor on. Stand firm. And be ready to battle. Be ready for it. See, when you feel like there's absolutely nothing left to give, when you feel like there is nothing left at the end of the day, I want you to cry out to the Lord. Cry out. Don't stand silent. Don't fight by yourself. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, I, I don't know what to do next, but I know I don't want to be in his hands. I don't believe it. I'm not going to listen to this. Cry out. Lord, hear my voice. Are you there? Speak to him. Do not go down without a fight. Don't slip into the abyss. Don't just walk into the darkness hoping that someone has a flashlight. Cry out. And do I say, cry out to one of us. Don't fight on your own. Don't let him take you out the back door. And next thing you know is you've wandered so far that you don't even recognize where you're at. Don't fight alone. As your pastor, and I feel very confident in these next words, Satan can't win this battle. He can't. He can't. He can't win the battle. You see, he's waiting for you to throw in the white towel. To say that it's not worth it. To say, or even really make you believe that you're not worth it. You are, my friends. Take comfort. Take comfort. For the battle has been fought. For our God, the God of the universe, Jehovah, our God has stood face to face with Satan. He stood there. He's looked him up and down. This is the guy. We see through all the Old Testament where God and Satan have come face to face. But when we look even more into the scripture, we see it happening again in the New Testament. 
when God and Satan stood face to face. And this time our Lord withstood his lies and flesh. He saw him. He's seen his eyes. He's seen what he's capable of. And he stood there and he withstood his lies so that you and I can do the same. Satan, get beneath me. For man does not live on bread alone. My friends, if you feel like this, if you feel alone, if you feel right now that you're slipping into darkness, cry out. Cry out. Don't go down without a fight. Fight your way back to him. He's there. And when your hand, when you see the hands of help, and you see the, don't reject them. Grab them. Grab them. This isn't a place of judgment. Oh, you should have done better. You should have given more. That's all Satan. All this is, is that you're not alone. You're not alone. As your pastor, I've battled through this. I'm not not exempt from any of this. I have to also put my hand out and say, no, 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 I'm strong enough on my own. No, 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 grab on, grab on. So this morning, if this is you, I want you to come down. I want you to come kneel down here. And I want you to fight. I want you to fight like Hezekiah. So I'm done paying tribute to Satan. We're done with that. This is over. I don't have any idols in my life. This is a sanctuary for the Lord. And now we prepare for battle. Because he's not going to go down. He's not just going to let this happen. He's going to come, start attacking. He's going to start his, his strategic moves like the Assyrians. Come down and prepare for battle. In your hearts, in your soul, in your mind. together as the church we can do this together thank you for listening to refresh be sure to hit subscribe and like us on facebook and youtube to never miss an episode if you liked what you heard be sure to share it with your friends and family We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.